This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, July 16th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Bitcoin is popular, but it bears repeating that its future is uncertain. Jim Harper, in the lead essay in this month's Cato Unbound, discusses Bitcoin as money. Harper stresses that many fans of Bitcoin probably need a refresher of what constitutes money. I think it's important to start at the beginning with what money is and how it works. A lot of people, and it's kind of surprising, don't really know what money is and how it works. We have bills in our pockets. We use credit cards and other, other payment methods. But, but how, how is that transferring value? Historically, and I'm, I'll be very general about it, uh, money was whatever commodity was fairly near at hand, fairly commonly desired or wanted, and easy to transfer. So in various examples in primordial societies might be seashells. Uh, in other societies, it was cows or, or other uh, hoofed animals. And just about anything can be money. There are a variety of qualities that something has to have to, to be money. That is, it has to be transferable. It helps to have standardized units. Uh, it helps for, for the, the character of it to be fixed and unchangeable, uh, resistant to counterfeiting, easy to store, high value, uh, compared to weight or, or volume, all these things are dimensions of the qualities of money. And in a, in a naturally occurring society without any, any interference, any kind of thing could be money. But historically, we saw that uh, precious metals became, to, became the, the most popular forms of money, gold and silver. And in varied ways, governments and rulers took over the role of establishing money. They were well positioned to do this because, for example, they were, I mean, we're talking about in early societies, governments and rulers were pretty much the only administrative systems around. So they had the wherewithal to mint coins, to standardize coins, weights and measures, these kinds of things. But it isn't the case based only on that history that governments can provide money. And in the, new, in the modern age we're moving into, it well could be that a commodity that's very easy to access that is, arrangements of bits could take the role of money. And that's where Bitcoin comes in. Uh, it's, a, it's a rather masterful cryptographic process for creating money out of bits. One of the benefits that uh, it's argued on behalf of Bitcoin, as you say, that it is, is a pretty brilliant process that, uh, that brings it about, but it's also uh, created in such a way that could be tweaked by others creating a different currency to generate money with a different trajectory. That is, Bitcoin sort of levels off at some point. Other monies could create at a higher rate, at a faster rate. So part of the Bitcoin protocol, part of the software that underlies Bitcoin, is a hard stop on the amount of Bitcoin that will ever come into existence. Over time, there's a, a relatively uh, large increase in the creation of Bitcoin right now, but that will tend to level off and there will be a set amount of Bitcoin. It's been said to be 22 million Bitcoin total, but I believe that the correct number may be different from that. That has consequences for monetary policy. What is Bitcoin's monetary policy? It is essentially to arrive at a fixed number that can never change. That may have deflationary effects, and there are some people who are concerned with that, that the people will hoard Bitcoin anticipating its rise in value vis-a-vis -vis other goods, and that could be bad. Bitcoin will almost certainly not be subject to inflation because no more of it can be made. And that's one of the arguments in favor of Bitcoin for many. Uh, currencies that are, that are uh, created by central banks 
uh, can be inflated and we see in the United States that uh, a great deal of new money is being injected into the system, right or wrong. That's really not my area of expertise and I can't say for sure, though I have my opinions. Other monies that use the same protocols as Bitcoin could be created that have different trajectories in terms of their creation or even there could be there could be monies that uh, uh, reduce in quantity over time if that was somebody's preference. Bitcoin may or may not succeed. It may be that successors to Bitcoin uh, have different formulae in terms of their creation and they will uh, perhaps better serve if Bitcoin is found not to serve well given its properties. Bitcoin is especially attractive to people who don't want to be tracked, that don't want their activities, their exchanges, uh, their dealings to be subject to scrutiny with standard uh, Federal Reserve notes. That's uh, that's very difficult to do. Well, understand the, the different types of money we work with today. Lots of people still use cash and a cash transaction is irreversible and mostly anonymous. There might be other parts of the transaction that make an, a, a transaction identifiable if you've introduced yourself to the grocer or given them a business card if they recognize you. That's not an anonymous transaction. But a cash transaction is pretty, pretty close to anonymous. Most payments, though, at least as far as dollar value are concerned, uh, go through payment systems, centralized payment systems, whether it's credit cards, checks, PayPal, or, or other systems, wire transfers. Uh, those central institutions have an idea of who everybody is on every, uh, on every side of the transaction. And they, for good or bad, are a centralized repository for information. Especially now, given greater awareness of the capacity of governments, including our own, to gather information from systems like this, people are thinking again about the benefits of anonymity or privacy with respect to their spending. So Bitcoin is a lot like cash in that it's largely anonymous. Now, it's not entirely like cash because every Bitcoin can technically be traced all the way through the system. There's an a ingenious public ledger that keeps track of Bitcoins from their creation uh, through transfer and holding. They can be held anonymously, but later transactions could reveal who was holding the Bitcoin and so on and so forth. So there, there are interesting permutations we'll continue to learn about where some Bitcoin that may have been stolen uh, will, might be treated differently than Bitcoin that, that uh, originated and has been transferred only through legal processes. Bitcoin does not provide people with immunity from lawbreaking. It can be used to, to track illegal behavior, but it's going to take some learning on the part of law enforcement and learning on the part of people who prefer anonymity uh, for, for perfectly legitimate reasons, just how anonymous Bitcoin is. Using traditional payment systems like uh, credit cards, uh, governments have leaned on a lot of these companies to prohibit certain kinds of transactions, and Bitcoin is not subject to those kinds of constraints, at least not directly right now. Bitcoin, understand this, Bitcoin is a software protocol. It's a, it's a piece of software that's open source, and that means it's not owned by anybody. That means that the government can't turn to anybody and say, you have to do X or else we will withdraw your license to do Y. Uh, that's the basic situation now with financial services providers is that they are on a very short leash with government officials who can shut them down. Basically, U.S. regulation of the, of the financial services systems allow the government to come in and shut them down. And so these systems are very pliable, very amenable to government demands. Bitcoin is literally software and it's open source and there's no one that authorities can go to. 
So in that sense, it's, it's much more resistant to surveillance and risks that you take by transacting on Bitcoin uh, will not change over time the way they will now. A privacy policy stated by uh, a credit card company or other financial services provider can be overcome by the government. And we know now that they're being overcome by the government. Uh, financial services systems like telecommunications providers are almost certainly handing over a great deal of information about our transactions, which are a window onto our lives. Jim Harper is Director of Information Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read his lead essay at Cato Unbound. That's cato-unbound.org.